If you've been attending Light of the World, we've been doing a sermon series called Shipwrecked, and with that, I've been talking about different ways that our faith can be shipwrecked. And I've talked over the last uh, seven or eight weeks about a variety of different ways that can happen, from false teachers and, and the things that they say can shipwreck our faith, from who our friends are and, and who influ- influences our lives, uh, to suffering and pain. And there's just these different things that can happen that can sometimes cause us to stumble in our faith. Well, I wanted to keep with that theme for Christmas Eve because what I want to talk about this evening is I want to talk about um, when hope is lost, it's very easy for our faith to become shipwrecked because hope is a real powerful thing. Hope has the ability to heal and a lack of hope really has the ability to cause us to lose our life. Um, We've all heard stories of people who are prisoners of war and what separates sometimes, a lot of times, the people who will survive that captivity is the ones who have hope are able to survive, but the ones who've lost their hope will ultimately die. Consider these two stories I want to share with you this evening as we consider the power of hope. The first is a story of, it comes from 2012, the Smithsonian Magazine. And there's this man that was involved in a drug trial. Um, as they're trying new drugs out to see what's effective and what's not, um, there will always be a group that will receive a placebo. And that placebo is basically just a sugar pill. Uh, th- no one knows if they're getting the real medicine or not. Uh, but in this study, there was a man, and it was for an antidepressant drug that was receiving a placebo, but he thought it was working uh, on him. But in spite of that, he decided that he wanted to take his life. And so he had 26 pills left, and he took all 26 pills. And he was admitted into the hospital because he was having trouble breathing. His blood pressure was going dangerously low, and he was really approaching death. And the medical professionals at the hospital, uh, since this was an experimental drug, they were trying to figure out how to reverse its effects and, and just what was going on with him. And they made some phone calls, and, and after making some phone calls, it was determined that this guy wasn't on the drug at all. He was simply on a placebo. And so they told the the guy, and it's documented that after they told him that, listen, you haven't been taking the drug all along, you're just taking sugar pills. And suddenly, his health went back to normal. But when he thought that he was taking the real stuff, like mentally, it almost killed him. There's another interesting story out there. This one is from the New England Journal of Medicine in 2002. And there's conducted a randomized trial of 180 patients that were diagnosed with knee osteoarthritis. And of those 180 people, there's going to be some that were going to have that osteoarthritis in their knee treated by surgery, some by the cleaning out of the knee, and then another group, a placebo. And so for those who were in the placebo group, they made three, uh, 
like three centimeter cuts on the knee, and they simulated the, the cleaning out of the knee with a splashing of saline solution so that the person didn't realize that they're getting the, 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 the placebo. They thought they're uh, potentially getting the cleaning out of the knee. And what is interesting is this. After the procedures, the placebo group had a significantly lower level of pain than the group that had received the full operation. And what's even more crazy is two years later, the effects were seen and the people that basically had nothing done to their knee did better than all the rest. There's power and hope. Like if a placebo, something that is not real, there's power in that and there is to make people better, how much more is their power when there's something and something that is real versus something that is not real. And that's what I want to talk to you about this evening, the power of hope, because we have hope in, in something that is real, in a God who is real, in a God who sent his son into this world in a, in a very real way. And I want to share with you a little bit about the world that God sent Jesus into 2,000 years ago. And I want you, as I share with you what the world looked like, because it was, it was a world that needed hope. I want you to imagine for yourself, what would it be like to have lived in the day of Jesus when Jesus came into this world? Because it was a world much different than the one in which we live today. It was a world that was occupied by the Roman Empire, or at least the area where Israel was. But there's 45 million people as part of the Roman Empire in the days of Jesus. There's 500 to 600,000 people that were living in Israel. They were largely uneducated. Only 10% of the population in the days of Jesus even had an education. They were a vassal state of Rome, so they lived under the thumb of Rome. Uh, they, they were taxed at a very high rate. Uh, they were abused often by the Roman soldiers, and they were forced to acknowledge or believe that the Roman emperor was a god. Food was limited in Jesus' day. Uh, meat was kind of unheard of. There was plenty of fish and, and bread, but even something like vegetables, it, it, it was just seasonal. So most days you were just maybe eating bread and a little bit of fish. The houses were modest. Even if you were a more kind of middle-class family, your house would consider, consist of two rooms. There was the downstairs in which is where you would live and your family would live. And that's where you would sleep and that's where you would eat. And there was literally just one room. But the upstairs room would be the room in which you would use almost as a, as a stable where you would keep your animals. If you were one of the more poor people, you didn't have two levels. You only had one level. And in the far end of the one end of that, the, the, the room that was your home, there would be a little raised area. And that's where you would eat. And that's where you would sleep. But the other side is where you would keep your animals. You would literally be in the same room with them. The houses were made out of clay, stone, and straw. The, the, the floor of the homes were dirt. There's no water, running water into the homes. There's no plumbing. And so disease would spread rampant. There's really no furniture per se. There'd be a table, a spinning wheel, a few wooden bowls, 
and some olive oil lamps. What about jobs? If you're a man, you'd either be a farmer or a craftsman or a fisherman. Women would tend to the affairs of the house. But even amongst the men, like work wasn't guaranteed, a lot of the men would be day laborers. They'd have to go and each day try to find someone that would hire them. And if you found someone, you got paid for the day. And and if you got paid, great, then you'd be able to buy some food and eat. But if you didn't, oftentimes you wouldn't. The life expectancy in Jesus' day was just 35 years. And that was mainly because of a high infant mortality. There's a good chance that uh, at least one of your kids would die before the age of one. If you manage to live to 20, there's a good chance that you'd live to 50. And God used this time in which there was so little hope and he brought hope into the world. They, they were actually hoping for something in Jesus' day. There was a hope for a Messiah. There's a hope for someone that would deliver them from the oppression of Rome and, and from the, the state of the living conditions in which they lived. But God brought to them a different kind of hope. And I can't do a Christmas Eve service without telling you about that hope, telling you about that Christmas story. And so I want to share with you the Christmas story from Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. And we read that in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth in a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, who was a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, for the Lord is with you. Now Mary was greatly troubled at the words, and she wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive, and you will give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. For he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? And the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Now, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, there were shepherds also living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. 
For today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem to see this thing that has happened that the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Now when they had seen him, they spread word concerning what they had been told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things, and she pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. You see, it was a time of hopelessness that God sent Jesus into this world, that God sent hope. But you know the story, some received that hope, and many others rejected it. And I think the same is true today. We live in a, a day in which some receive the hope that we celebrate today, the hope of Jesus, and some reject it. In fact, I would go on, go as far as to say this. I think today we live in a world that is in need of hope every bit as much as in the days of Jesus. And, and that's really profound if you think about it because you heard me describe what Israel was like in Jesus' day, living under the oppression of a, of a foreign army, uh, and maybe having a decent meal, maybe not, maybe having work, maybe not, not having indoor water, indoor plumbing, living with your animals. I mean, there, there'd be reasons to be like in need of hope in Jesus' day. But we live in a day and age in which like we have everything we want. The richest time in, in all of humanity and one of the richest countries that there's ever been. Yet, we live in such a depressed world. We hear all the time, and many of you have known people who've taken their life and committed suicide. There's so many people that are struggling with depression in this world in which we live. And it's not that there isn't hope, but the problem is, is we don't always see it. Uh, sometimes we reject it. And quite oftentimes we look for hope in the wrong things. You know, as a pastor, one thing that struck me is, and I've noticed this over the last 25 years, and I didn't know if it was real or if it wasn't, but at least in my mind, it seems like more people die at Christmas time than, than any other time. In fact, I don't really remember a time in which Christmas came and there wasn't you know, multiple deaths that I was hearing about. And honestly, I was just thinking shortly after Thanksgiving, wow, this is the first holiday season. You know, No one's died and I haven't heard of anyone dying. And I'll tell you in the like, last week, uh, I, I, I've heard of three different people. In fact, last night at 1 a.m., I heard from a member who had lost his wife after a 10-year illness. And, and 
And I researched it and I did a podcast on this on Thursday. And the truth is, is that there is an increase of of death around Christmas time. In this country, it's about 5%. It can be quantified. Like there's a spike in deaths right around Christmas in, in a time of hope. And what's interesting is why is that? And some people like to point to, well, it's, it's the start of winter. And, and with the start of winter, there's, there's the flu and there's, there's just illness and so forth. But what's funny is like, that's not the case because every country that celebrates Christmas has the same experience. And New Zealand tracked this for like 25 years. And in New Zealand, which is in the Southern Hemisphere, which is the start of summer, they experience over a 4% increase in death around Christmas time. Why in this time of, of hope, when God gives hope, is there an increase in death? Well, we know it's not like weather related and, and others will give other solutions, but, but I think it's potentially one of two things. I, I think for some people with a terminal illness, like in the same way that like, sometimes it's comforting to receive the permission of your loved ones, it's okay to go. You know, Jesus is waiting for you. There's something about Christmas time that, that potentially uh, people feel like, all right, I'm, I'm ready to let go because it's front and center of their mind that, that God loves them and, and is there for them. I, I, th- I think that could be a small part of it. Because remember I said that hope has the power to give life, but a lack of it has the power to take life. And I think there's just a lot of people who struggle with depression over the time of Christmas because of a sense of, of maybe a lack of hope. And that leads to an increase in death as well. Because the reality is this is, I, I think a lot of us, we, we look for hope in the wrong places. For some of us, we, we look for it in a bottle, right? Whether that be alcohol or drugs. And, and, and maybe we look forward to, you know, just being able to, to have a few drinks or, or to take some medicine because, you know, life is just, it's so heavy, it's so messy, it's so difficult. We're depressed and, and maybe we don't even know why we're depressed or, or what have you. But, but the bottle never gives hope. Sometimes we'll look for hope in the arms of another person that will somehow rescue us or make us feel better about ourselves, but hope can't be found in that. Sometimes like hope is, is, is like, maybe if I just get a new job, I'll be happy. Maybe if I make a move, I, I'll be happy. You know, it's that whole grass is always greener on the other side. The problem is, is sometimes the grass is greener on the other side because there's a septic system running under the ground. And it's not a real hope. It's, it's, it's a false hope. Maybe it's a retirement home. Maybe it's, you know, an amazing vacation all of these things ultimately will lead to broken hope. And broken hope will leave us empty, angry, bitter, broken, and resentful. And ultimately can shipwreck us in our faith. 
there's only one place that we get true hope, and that is what we're celebrating today, Jesus. In fact, the amazing thing with Jesus is he can bring hope into a hopeless situation. And I'm reminded in scripture of of when Jesus was on that boat with his disciples and he was worn out after a day of ministering. He's sound asleep on the boat and and this great storm comes up and and waves are starting to come into the boat and and, and the disciples were certain that they were gonna die. They were in a hopeless situation. Even though Jesus was in the boat, And so they cry out to Jesus, and out of that hopeless situation, Jesus stands up, he calms the storm, and he restores hope. I'm thinking of all the miracles in the Bible that that Jesus did. When when someone was born blind, there's there's just no hope. You're just always going to be blind. But out of that hopeless situation, Jesus came and restored the sight of the blind, and he brought hope. He had a friend that died by the name of Lazarus and, 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 and Lazarus' family, they were in brokenness. They had lost hope. Their friend had died, but, but out of that hopelessness, Jesus comes and, and he raises his friend from the dead. He brings hope into hopelessness. <coughs> Jesus with the lame and the crippled, born that way, Unable to walk, there's just hopelessness. And out of that, Jesus tells him to stand up and walk. He brings hope. And I'm reminded about all of us in our own salvation, that while we were still sinners, why we had no hope and we had none, God sent his son into this world to be born into the world, but ultimately to suffer and die and to redeem our world so that we would be reconciled with God the Father and that we would have hope. Are you in need of hope in your life today? You know, some of you are listening online and you're listening online because your health has begun to decline. You're not able to make it out to church anymore. Your flesh and blood is becoming weak. Maybe some of you are early in the stages of of Alzheimer's and dementia, and you're not even sure how much you're going to, much longer you'll even be able to remember the people who've been near and dear to you. Even when we get into those times in our lives in which our, our bodies are failing, there's, there's, there's still hope because we believe in a, a God who will one day restore our bodies, who, who because we've been reconciled with the Father, we will have eternal life, and, and these broken, failing bodies that are destined to die will be restored. Some of you are sitting out here today maybe dreading what tonight is going to bring and what tomorrow is going to bring because you know you're going to be celebrating Christmas by yourself and you have very little hope. But I'm here to tell you that, that Christmas isn't about the, the, the amount of people that we're around or what we're cooking or, or what we're doing. It's about God being with us. So if you are alone, you're not alone. And, and honestly, like, 
sometimes it's, it's a blessing from God. You are. I was getting my hair cut this week and I was talking to the lady who, who cut it and she asked me something about Christmas. I asked her something about Christmas and she said she's spending this year alone. She wants to spend it alone because she's getting out of a relationship that was toxic. It wasn't good. Sometimes it's a blessing that, that, that you are alone, that you aren't in that situation anymore in a hope that next year God will put someone else in your life that will be more of a blessing. Some of you are dreading having to spend tonight or tomorrow with maybe family members that are difficult to love, and and there's just not a lot of hope about what tomorrow will bring. I'm here to tell you if that's the case, you you need to stop focusing on uh, who those people are that you're going to spend it with or what you're going to be eating or what you're going to be doing. You need to focus on what the real meaning and message of what Christmas is. And in that, you will find hope regardless of who you find yourself around tomorrow. Some of you may be, you're feeling hopeless because you thought you'd be at a different point in your life right now than where you're at. But I would say to you, you need to learn to surrender your life to Christ and what his will is. And to recognize that you might not be in control completely of your job, of your income, of your relationships, but that you trust that God has you at a certain place for a certain reason and in hope and in prayer that that God might potentially give you a better situation or better circumstances next year. Some of you are sad that maybe you lost a loved one this year or in the last few years and there's just nothing that you wouldn't do to be able to spend this Christmas with that loved one that's passed. But even in that, we have hope. Because our hope and confidence is that this this Jesus being born this, this hope of God being brought into this world was born into this world so that relationship with God would be reconciled so that our loved ones that have gone before us, who've died in faith, we, we can have more than a hope. We have a certainty that we will spend eternity with them someday soon. Look at what's written in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 19 to 22. If only for this life, We have hope in Christ. We're to be pitied more than all people. Listen, if if our hope is just in, in this life, in Christ, we're to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And for since death came into this world through a man, The resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all have died, but in Christ all will be made alive. This is our hope. This is our hope we celebrate today, not just a baby being born, but that we have an everlasting hope of eternal life in Christ Jesus. A time in which there'll be no more sorrow, that there'll be no more pain. Whatever your struggles are, in the messiness of life, I pray that you would keep hope because we worship and celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ this day and he loves you. He forgives you. He knows 
you by name. And he promises that he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. He'll see you through the struggles of your complicated and at times messy life. But we need to remember this. Our, our real hope is not in this life we live today, but it is in that life to come. Because that baby that is born that we celebrate today will ultimately go to the cross to set us free from our sin and give us eternal life in heaven. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Gracious Almighty God, I lift up to you, everyone here this evening, especially those that are struggling with a sense of hopelessness. And I pray that hopelessness would not cause us to stumble in our faith and to be shipwrecked in our faith. I pray, gracious God, that you'd help us to, to recognize and to see that, that in fact, we, we do have hope. And that hope is found in, in that gift of your son that you sent into this world. We thank you, gracious God, for that hope. We thank you for your son. We thank you for our savior and the promise of eternal life through him. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.